As we wrap up the week, we're bringing you one of the many positive messages from our past interviews. Each Thursday, we're sharing stories of our most watched athletes, celebrities, and leaders. This week, the one and only Dana White. What was the state of the sport when you were, or the state of the UFC when you were interested in purchasing it? It was going out of business. It was basically going out of business. This guy, you know, I don't know if he had the money or didn't, but was not willing to fund it anymore. Mm -hmm. It was... uh, it was at the end of his rope. It was going out of business. So you and the Fertitta brothers, uh, you know, heirs to the station casino billion-dollar fortune and your former uh, classmates, I guess, were fans of the UFC even before you bought it, would occasionally travel around the country just to sit as spectators at the events and always thought that you guys could do this better. So when you learned that the UFC was indeed up for sale, what did you do? Well, what happened was originally Lorenzo and I were going to get involved in boxing. And I was out with his brother Frank one night at the Hard Rock. And Lorenzo being the CEO now of Right. UFC. And we saw um, John Lewis, who used to fight in the UFC. And Frank said, I've always wanted to learn ground fighting because we all used to box. So I said, yeah, me too. So we went over. I knew him. We started talking to him. And we set up a lesson for Monday. We told Lorenzo. Lorenzo came too. And we started taking jujitsu, and we were blown away by it, blown away. We fell in love with it. We started training three, four days a week. Um, we'd all try to learn more than the other ones so we could submit them next time we wrestled. And through that, we started to meet some of the fighters. And then we were blown away by the fighters. These guys were smart. They were incredible athletes. And uh, then we went to our first UFC event. And we sat in the crowd and started to go, man, imagine if they did this and imagine if they did that. This thing could be big. And then I started managing Tito and Chuck. I met those guys, started managing them, and I got into this huge contract battle over Tito's contract with the old owner. And through that, it lasted almost a year. And through that, I found out that the UFC was in trouble. And like I said, Lorenzo and I were going to get involved in boxing. They were down in Miami. I called them and said, I think this thing's in trouble. I think we could buy the UFC. And a month later, we owned the company. How was the deal structured between the three of you? Um, we Originally, the, the deal was uh, I own 10%. They own the rest. I was the president, came in and took this thing over and started to run it. Then, you know, throughout the years here, uh, you know, the, the Abu Dhabi now is a partner. These guys are 10% partners, too. So... It's me, Abu Dhabi, and Frank and Lorenzo. Just out of curiosity, I, I mean, I know Lorenzo had said uh, initially they just kind of bought it as a hobby with no real, you know, plan set out for what they wanted to do with it. Uh, obviously, it's become wildly successful, and you very well may have expected this, but it seems unlikely anybody could have expected it to become this successful this soon. So what happens if they want to, you know, sell their 80 percent, you know, and the dynamic of the relationship then changes? Yeah, it's, uh, well, first first of all, they bought it as a hobby, but more to it than that. It was a business. Absolutely. Because we bought it for two million dollars. They invested another 44 into it. That's one hell of a hobby. You know what I mean? Um, and the way that I look at 44 million is you had like 80 something million before you got taxed and ended up with your 44 million. So it was a, it was a big investment. It, it was more than a hobby. It was 
definitely a hobby, but it was a business that they 100% believed in. The, the, the crazy thing about this is when you start, again, when you start looking at the money side of this thing and you say, what if the Fertitas wanted to sell this? Understand, it's a business. And in business, everything is always for sale. You know, But right now, and this might be arrogant, but it's truly what we believe, that we're the only guys that can do this. We're the only guys that can take this thing to where uh, it needs to be. We're, we're definitely the guys that love it, are passionate about it, and have the roadmap for where this thing's going to go. So I, I can't say that they wouldn't do that. Uh, it could happen, and if it did, we'd see what happens. I mean, somebody else would come in and buy it, and uh, you know, maybe me and the Fertitas move on. Or uh, I, I just couldn't see myself... Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I could see myself doing it without them. Really? We got into this thing together, and uh, we have a, a, an amazing work uh, and friendship dynamic. I, I think that, think about this. It, it, the, 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 the one thing that's made this thing successful has been the relationship between me and the Fertitas. If, for when things were going bad, and you're $44 million in the hole and you're losing money, there's going to be some finger pointing. You know what I mean? Oh, you, you were the wrong guy. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. And never once did they do that and say, we're in the whole 44 million. We think you made a bunch of mistakes because I was the only guy over here in the early days. You know what I mean? Then when everything starts taking off and it becomes incredibly successful and you're, you know, you're doing interviews and you, you know, that's when everybody starts going, hey, this is mine. Hey, I'm the guy. Hey, I made this happen. You know, and there's never been any of that either. You know, there's never been me going back and going, I want more than my 10%. Any successful band, any successful business, you see it happen all the time. Great bands break up. Businesses fall apart because guys start fighting and arguing. Never happens with us. And one of the big reasons is, and I said it earlier and it's the truth, I could care less about money. I don't care about money. I love this sport. I love this brand and I love what we're doing. And I get up every day. I get up every day and treat this thing like I own 100% of it. What was the lowest point of, of those early years for you? The lowest point was um, when Lorenzo called me and said, I can't keep funding this thing, man. I can't, I can't call my brother again to ask him to fund this thing. I need you to get out there and see what we can get for this thing. I started making calls all that day, and uh, I call, he called me back that night, and I said, I don't know, man, six, maybe eight million? He said, all right, I'll call you tomorrow. He called me the next day and said, let's do it. Let's keep going. So, What was that night like for you? Number one, the thought of failing. Number two, the thought of I'm the one that, that came with this idea. I'm the one that wanted to do this. And now I just lost my friends 30-something million bucks because at that time we were probably in 30 to 30-something million. Is there more pressure when you're at your lowest point as you were 44 million in the hole or when you're on – top of the world and uh, it's, I think it's all you. the same we, we put we, we actually put a ton of pressure on ourselves as successful as this thing gets like when we signed the Fox deal the first thing everybody started saying to me when we signed the Fox deal is you did it you're mainstream now we're not mainstream man don't start patting us on the back yet we've been given the opportunity to go mainstream now's the time that we got to dig in and work harder than we ever did you know we, we got to deliver now so we've been given the opportunity to go mainstream and now it's up to us to, to, to take it and make it happen. We hope these problem-solving narratives inspire you to tackle obstacles in your own life.